0: Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Shahidi, and this is the Evoke 20-Minute Market Outlook podcast, where we share our thoughts about the current economic and market environment. Thank you for joining us today, and please feel free to visit our website at evokeadvisors.com for a PDF version of our quarterly outlook and to learn more about our firm. Welcome to the first quarter 2024 Market Outlook. I'm Alex Shahidi, and as usual, I am joined by Damien Becerrier, the other Co-CIO at Evoke Advisors with me, and Michael Marco, Senior Vice President in Research. Damien, before we jump into the forward-looking outlook for 2024 and beyond, why don't we look backwards at 2023 and the surprises that uh, we experienced and just your take about uh, the entire year.
1: Thanks, Alex. Uh, Good to be starting 2024. 2023 was a very volatile year. We came into the year, uh, oh, I think most people came into the year expecting a recession as a function of the extreme monetary policy response from the Federal Reserve, where they raised interest rates uh, over the cycle to five and a quarter to five and a half percent on the Fed funds rate. That was a big increase from zero, uh, as big of an increase as we've seen in 50 years, and we expected that to cause a, a basically a slowdown in the economy. Um, and I think at one point Bloomberg uh, was forecasting a 100% chance of recession. It was really the talk of, of um, the financial community coming into 2023 and we didn't have a recession. in fact growth was was pretty uh, good throughout the year and actually accelerated into Q3. Uh, the surprising thing, I think I think um, was that we saw at the same time that growth remained resilient, that inflation continued to fall through the course of the year. And so we did not have a wage price spiral or an outcome where inflation started uh, surging higher or expectations shifted much higher. You didn't have a step change as many people feared in terms of longer term inflation expectations. In fact, long-term inflation expectations are more or less where they've been the last several years at this point. Uh, but it's helpful to walk through the course of the year and experience the twists and turns. So I'll do that in a very brief manner. So in the in the first quarter, you had the first signs of falling inflation, I think, was a little bit of a tailwind for the markets coming out of Q4 of last year. And then you had the SVB collapse, uh, which uh, accompanied general problems in the regional banking sector. And there were fears of a financial contagion, a financial crisis. And the Fed uh, responded by uh, creating some facilities to help uh, the regional banking uh, system. And at one point, there were cuts priced in for Q2. Uh, And so everybody basically priced in the easing, the pivot in Q1. And that led to actually a asset rally, which uh, benefited most asset markets. In Q2 and Q3, it became apparent that the economy wasn't entering a recession. And actually, the regional banking problems were more or less contained, although regional banks continue to struggle with um, you know, the interest rate exposure on their balance sheets. Uh, and so you had um, a rally, particularly in the equity markets, but then um, uh, a, a move higher in uh, interest rates in Q3 actually led to... Uh, asset markets, again, pricing in a tighter, higher for longer environment from the Fed, and that was a headwind. And so we saw, in, in particular Q3, we saw asset markets fall precipitously, uh, both bond and stock markets. Uh, and that's that set the stage for Q4, where inflation continued to come down. Um, October was another tough month for the markets. Uh, but by the time we got into de- to November and December, it became apparent that inflation was coming down regardless of of growth holding up. Growth did slow a bit in Q4, certainly relative to a very strong Q3. And the Fed positively surprised the markets by coming out and saying that they expected to begin cutting in 2024. And the markets had already been rallying in November, but that really... Um, added some tailwind for asset markets generally. You saw a big rally in the bond markets as you uh, took out all the cut, all the, um, the uh, you basically priced in six cuts into 2024. And uh, bonds, which had been negative for the year in Q3, actually ended up uh, positive uh, relative to cash by the end of the year. So the Barclays aggregate was up 5.5% for the year, uh, which is a little better than just um, being in T-bills. And stocks, um, which had been generally performing well because you'd had um, pretty resilient growth through the course of the year, and you had some enthusiasm around the uh, artificial intelligence uh, breakthroughs, uh, stocks ended the year up over twenty percent on the global indices. Um, so stocks had a very strong year, with uh, a lot of those large cap uh, tech stocks leading the way. But uh, really, that rally broadened out in Q4. Uh, and so you had a very positive year for asset markets, but, but depending on what point you looked at during the course of the year, it was a very up and down year. If you look at the uh, one asset market that did well in 2022, which was commodities, that was the one that struggled this year. So actually the broad commodity, uh, sector was down last year, uh, with the exception of gold, gold actually performed quite well, which, you know, you, you would expect, um, uh, particularly in in Q4, as the as the Fed signaled their intention to begin an easing cycle, uh, that was positive for gold. But gold in general has done well the last couple of years because it's it's you know really I think viewed by the big savers as an alternative storehold of wealth. And despite higher interest rates, uh, has um, I think benefited by a move away from dollars as a way to save uh, wealth for the large large um, asset owners like the sovereign wealth funds.
0: So, Michael, let me let me shift to you, uh, kind of connecting what Damien just said to a question that that I've heard from a lot of clients, and that is, is it tightening over? If, you, if we go back the last few years, it was, you know, what is the Fed going to do? Well, it was driving markets? The Fed's going to raise rates. The Fed is, you know, pausing. Now they've actually come out and said we're going to be cutting rates in 2024. So, is, is our sense that? Were we're at the end of that tightening cycle, or are there risks that then may reverse
2: uh thanks alex yeah it's a it's a very good question i mean for for one, it's because the tightening what what's happened with interest rate policy relative to expectations has been such a big driver of markets in both directions really since the tightening first began. Um, and thinking about where we are, it seems like the consensus is that at least on an absolute level, the tightening is largely behind us. Rates are you know, in the five, five and a quarter, five and a half percent range. And with inflation coming back pretty quickly to the two percent target, that would leave um, a pretty high real interest rate at the short end if the Fed were not to cut. And so that is kind of the primary reason the Fed has indicated that it expects to cut and if you look at the Fed's own projections for 2024, they're projecting um at least three interest rate cuts for the year, and the markets are actually expecting more. And to us, those look those expectations look fairly reasonable. I mean, you've had um, and kind of to to the story that Damien was laying out, um, coming into the year, uh, we basically had this picture where um we expected a recession because never had it been the case that inflation could go from 7% down to 2% or you know, back to the Fed's target in a short period of time without a recession, looking back at the full history we have. And so everyone anticipated a recession. In fact, the Fed seemed to almost be saying that it would have to engineer a recession by getting the unemployment rate up enough to avoid the wage pressures that could continue to uh, drive inflation higher and you know, potentially risk having inflation become unanchored. Given that picture and the Fed's determination to get inflation back to target, no matter what, and this belief that it needed to get unemployment higher to do that, everybody was convinced pretty much that, you know a recession lay ahead for us. And you know now a lot of those dynamics that happened during Covid to drive inflation higher, it so happens that a lot of them reversed without causing growth to collapse. So you had these supply chain bottlenecks that caused, Um, a supply shock during COVID. And a lot of those resolved. You had a lot of supply come online, workers that hadn't been working came back to work. And you had a lot of immigration, you had a lot of, um, you know, immigration at a rate that was more than two times the pre-COVID trend. And so that kind of increases the supply of workers, mitigates pressure on wages, get a lot of increased labor force participation as well. At the same time as you had, you know, some of the impulses from the government in terms of printing checks um, pulling back. And so that, I think, led a lot of the inflation dynamics to reverse. And inflation came down basically as quickly as it went up without bringing the economy to heel. Um, and that was kind of the, ba- the big surprise. And so, you know, looking ahead and just to your question about, you know, are we done with rate hikes? Well, you know, it seems we are, but it's always a question of, how are growth and inflation going to unfold relative to expectations? If inflation kind of stays on track to where it seems to be right now, which is kind of pretty quickly approaching and staying at uh, the Fed's 2% target, we would expect you know, the Fed and the Fed has announced basically that it would plan to cut interest rates ahead of a possible tightening because it doesn't want there to be an involuntary, like an indirect tightening, leaving rates where they are as inflation comes down. So causing real uh, borrowing costs to rise. At the same time, you know you still have a lot of pent up inflation risks on the table. There's geopolitical risk that kind of receded to the background last year after the you know, Ukraine war didn't expand um, more than was feared and oil prices kind of retraced. Now you have tensions in the Middle East, uh, potentially the risk of a wider conflagration there. Driving oil prices higher, causing a lot of, at this point, a lot of ships are having to be diverted away from their normal routes through the Red Sea, given the um, escalation by the Houthis who are fire, firing missiles at and attacking the, those shipping routes. And, you know, not with 95% of the ships being diverted, that's increasing costs and that's, you know, potentially increasing, it takes longer to um, move those ships through. So these are all kind of inflation risks um, that are on the table. But, you know, given where we are, it seems that if inflation, if those risks kind of stay on the sidelines and don't manifest, I think the question then becomes, you know, not so much whether the Fed cuts, but how much.
0: So it's interesting when you reflect on the past two years. I remember in the beginning when you had this inflation spike and inflation rates were near where they were in the the early 80s. The thought was inflation is transitory, it's going to come and go on its own, and we're going to be back to the normal trend and As it turns out, reflecting on the past two years, it was transitory. It just took two years instead of a few months. you know, I think we're impatient as investors and when you kind of zoom out and you take a look at it, it actually was transitory, just took some time,
2: yeah, that's true, um although it also took five hundred basis points of tightening. We don't know. Obviously, I I think we would all think that in the absence of that tightening, inflation would have certainly stayed higher, if not, you know, continued rising. But for sure, uh, the picture was definitely rosier than we all anticipated.
1: It still feels like we are in the dynamic where good economic news is bad for markets, because there still is uh, an extrapolation of, good economy means more inflation pressure means the fed needs to be marginally tighter and that's bad for assets and so that that feels i think for a lot of investors a little bit counterintuitive maybe we're getting used to it now uh just given that we've been in this dynamic for a couple years but what i think will be interesting as the cycle the tightening cycle ends and we we move into this easing cycle uh is what is the economic flow through of all this tightening And obviously there's a a lot of macro pressures that are um, counteracting one another. And so it's a little, it's a little hard to see like in the crystal ball, how that's going to play out. But I do think there's still a risk that all the tightening that happened, that there's a delay in terms of how it impacts the economy. And we may see that manifest in the economy in various ways this year.
0: And, And it's still hard to know whether that was enough tightening or too much because of the lag effects that you described.
1: Yeah. It's like you're flying a plane, but you're seeing what's in front of you in a in, a, in delayed manner, right? So it makes it very difficult. And, it, and it, I think it increases the likelihood that you you know under or over tighten policy uh, because you you can't see the immediate feedback of what you're doing.
0: All right. So why don't we transition to current market pricing. You know what is the, what is the market expecting 2024 and beyond to look like and our views about where the risks may lie that the future does not transpire as expected.
1: So markets are pricing in a soft landing which means earnings growth will remain okay, not experiencing a, a recessionary type of earnings outcome. At the same time as inflation will continue to fall, allowing the Fed to pivot and get easier. And so, uh, depending on when you're looking at the Fed funds markets, uh, you know it's five or six cuts that are priced in for this year. That's more than what the Fed says they're going to do, by the way. Um, and we, you know, we believe that the Fed will respond to conditions. And so, if if you do get a reacceleration of growth here, you know, maybe they go more slowly than they're saying they're going to go. Um, And if you see a delayed flow through of that tightening into slower economic activity, maybe they go faster. And that's essentially what the markets are pricing in today. It's a little contradictory. I think we've highlighted this in past quarterly uh, podcasts that it it seems hard to square the six cuts with positive earnings growth. It seems to us that if they're going to cut that aggressively, which is more than they say they're going to do. That's more than a course correction in terms of trying to normalize policy, and that likely corresponds to a weaker economic outcome, which would jeopardize the earnings growth expectations. So it seems like there's going to have to be some squaring of those expectations over the course of this year, whether that's slower growth and the bond market being right and equity struggling, or maybe a continued kind of resilient growth outcome that surprises the markets, um, at least surprises the bond markets, and, and leads to uh, good equity performance, but uh, actually a more aggressive Fed, which, which then creates its own set of risks, um, you know, w- which have moderated, but we think could reassert themselves uh, if the Fed starts to get concerned that inflation isn't trending in the right direction.
0: One pretty material risk is if inflation does, in fact, stay higher for longer, then it may not be as easy for the Fed to ease at the first sign of weakness, right? For sure. That's right. But putting all of that together, Damien, how should investors think about investing given the risks that you outlined and the backdrop?
1: Yeah, it's easy to get over focused on the Fed. You know, that's maybe, maybe we've encouraged that a little bit. But I think the bigger picture for us, if you take a step back, is that asset markets have repriced in a very meaningful way the last couple of years, such that when you look across all different types of assets, you're getting a much higher forward-looking return than we have in quite some time. Um, This is most apparent in the bond markets where the yields are much higher. And so that allows you to, without sacrificing a lot of return, get good diversification across these various markets. And I would augment your lens to the degree you can, go beyond just public markets, but even to some private markets and alternatives, And really try to incorporate as many of these different return streams into your portfolios as you can. That, in our view, is the way to generate an attractive return, but to do so with a tolerable level of risk. Understanding that these things are very hard to predict. You have a lot of dynamics here that um, really haven't been apparent in the last 20, 30 years of investing. And it's hard to know how these things ultimately net out. And so we would emphasize diversification. and today that there's not a lot of cost to doing that. You know you can buy things like uh, bonds, uh, which historically um, you know, or at least last t- 10, 20 years, haven't given you much in the way of, of yield. They're giving you yield today. and that allows you to diversify to some of these um, outcomes that Michael talked about, like a weaker growth outcome you know you can incorporate inflation hedges into your portfolios you know they've gotten a lot cheaper actually over the past year for instance um in the commodity sector or even tips today are offering still very attractive real yields close to 2% um and so they give you 2% plus inflation so there are a lot of ways to diversify effectively today without giving up return and and we think that's actually a quite attractive investment environment even though it's a head scratching macro environment
0: yeah and i guess the way to think about when you have different assets, pricing, and different outcomes that if you invest across a lot of them, rather than just concentrating in one or two, you're more likely to not be wrong, right? As opposed to trying to guess what the future holds, betting betting on that and missing it entirely. Well, Damien, Michael, uh, as always, appreciate your insights. Thank you for, for joining me and look forward to talking again next quarter.
2: Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex.
0: Thank you for listening to the Evoke 20 Minute Market Outlook podcast produced by Evoke Advisors. If you have questions, feel free to email us at info at evokeadvisors.com. And if you enjoy the discussion, please subscribe to this podcast to ensure you don't miss future episodes. And don't forget to forward today's conversation to others you think would also enjoy listening. This quarterly podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Evoke Advisors, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits. And listeners are reminded that securities trading, commodity trading, And alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors.